Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Growing dome of this size is probably going to feed a family of eight. So, you know, if you had two or two or three small families, you know, this could produce quite a bit of food. Welcome to Range, stories of the new American West. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Julia Ritchie. That was Susie Sutphin, founder of the Tahoe Food Hub in the intro. You'll hear more from her and her farmers in a minute about what it takes to set up a local food system and how the heck you grow food in the snow. So when I first moved to Truckee, California, I saw these green Tahoe Food Hub stickers everywhere. They are on like every single cafe, restaurant, grocery store, building in town. And that got me kind of curious. So I looked them up online. And then I saw they had this whole mission around building food security, which includes this giant dome where they grow food year round. What do you mean by dome? Is that like a greenhouse? Kind of. It's this geodesic dome that's been specially engineered to both regulate temperatures and deal with large snow loads. Here's what really struck me, though. All that language about resilience and food security, it kind of reminds me of how doomsday preppers talk about readying themselves for the end of days. (laughs) You're right. They're very concerned about making sure they have their own food source, even if it's like 100 jars of pinto beans or something in a bunker. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I sort of love that in a lot of ways, local food advocates and doomsday preppers speak the same language and are tackling some of the same issues, but coming from polar opposite ends of the political spectrum. Totally. Anyhow, that's what I was thinking about when Susie met me in a parking lot in Truckee a few weeks ago. She let me ride along in her delivery truck as she picked up orders from farmers. So anyway, where are we going? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, we are headed over the Downer Summit down to foothills uh-huh. to pick up food from our local farmers. I should note here that there was a storm that day and Susie was really worried about getting down and back before it got ugly. When she spotted that I was like eight months pregnant, she was a little disappointed that I might not be able to help with the loading quite so much, but she hit it well. Knowing you, you probably helped anyway. I did. I was tossing around boxes of mandarins like a champ. So I was talking to her on the way about how she kind of got into this whole thing in the first place. And she told me this story about how she was working for Patagonia and then she got involved in an environmental film festival. Eventually, she left Patagonia to work with the film festival full time. And that was right around the time that all the big food documentaries were coming out, like Food Inc. came out, all these other ones. And all she the said ones that, that like, like make you not want to eat beef anymore. Yes. All the like <laughs> poor sad cow movies. Yes. Um, and she said that like, you know, being part of the film festival, seeing all these things and seeing how these movies actually helped to change people's behavior got her really obsessed with the food system. It just kept coming back around to where our food system is broken and that's in the middle and helping farmers get their food to market in a fair and equitable way. So it, and then I learned about food hubs and I was like, ah, perfect. There's the answer. I'm going to go start a food hub. So I've heard this term before, but what exactly is a food hub? 
According to Susie, it's essentially a marketplace that brings farmers and food buyers together. So in her case, she's got relationships with all these farmers who tell her every week what they've got ready to harvest. And then she's signed up all these chefs and grocery stores, plus some schools and hospitals. And she's built this online marketplace for them. So she checks in with the farmers on Monday, puts their inventory in the system, opens the market on Tuesday for the buyers, and then gets orders to the farmers Tuesday night so they can pick everything Wednesday morning in time for her to pick it up. Then she drops off to the restaurants and whatnot on Thursdays. It sounds pretty slick, but even though she's been doing it for going on four years now, Susie said she still worries every single week that it's not going to work. It's a total manic episode. Like, I'm like, I went, I'm, I'm just, I'm depressed. And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm so silly. Why do I, why do I constantly stress out about this, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do. That worry seems extra unnecessary when you hear how happy her customers are. We heard from both farmers and buyers, and everyone seems pretty pleased with this system. Amy Cook, Summertime's Bakery and Deli. From our point of view, um, you know, it really is sort of a missing link. We were working with with farms, trying to get out to to farms and find out what they had on a weekly basis, which is always changing. And it was a huge challenge. It's really hard. Um, This makes it so easy. There's one central place where we can find out what what we can get. We can design specials, make sure that we we link up on our end with everything that they have. Um, It just makes it work. It makes it so that buying from local farms is feasible. Ruth Ann Yehoda. I grow kiwi, grapes, lemons. Okay, that list goes on for a while. Ruth Ann grows everything, and she's been farming in Auburn, California since 1997. Pears, loquats, lots of shoots, lots of greens, tons of greens. She's one of those real salt-of-the-earth farmer gals. Here she is talking about the food hub in particular. It's a nice thing for the farmer, me, uh, because I have another outlet. I mean, I do a lot of farmer's markets as um, a major source of income, but um, Tahoe Food Hub is like, I don't have to go do the market, so that's great. My name is Jim Muck, and I'm from Jim's Produce. Typically, um, I would sell produce at a farmer's market, and when you sell at a farmer's market, you know, you're kind of looking at an eight-hour day of loading and driving and selling and then loading up again and driving home and unloading. And, and with uh, something like the Tahoe Food Hub, I can move larger quantities of produce. I pick it and deliver it, and I'm back at my farm in like two hours. It's a lot more efficient in terms of my use of time. I still do one farmer's market, um, one farmer's market a week on Saturday, and but I used to do like five farmer's markets. And so it was very hard to get any farming done when all I was doing was it going to farmers markets. That's interesting. You know, I knew people weren't getting rich off farmers markets, but I didn't think about it being such an economic challenge for farmers. Yeah, apparently some markets won't let you hire someone else to work the stand for you, so it really takes the farmer out of the field. And there's some pretty significant transportation and time costs there. What most of the farmers told me was that it's still worth doing them for sales and for getting their name out there and marketing, but the food hub just lets them not rely solely on the market, so a lot of them can just do fewer. But the food hub seems like a lot of time and work for Susie. How does she get by? That's exactly what she's worried about right now. The system works great for the farmers and the buyers, and they all rave about it. But part of being sustainable is the whole piece that Susie provides. That needs to work, too. They're a nonprofit, so she's not expecting to make a bunch of money and retire. But she does need the financials to work out a little better than they are right now. You know, I talk about sustainability, as a lot of people do. You know, the food hub is all about building a much more equitable food system, meaning that it's fair from grower to consumer, that the farmer's getting a fair price, the soil is being treated fairly, organically, 
and you know there's the farm the workers along that supply chain are being treated fairly there's equal access to that food you know but through this whole process you know the, the food hub been subsidizing a lot of this you know with grants and donation we're kind of at that crossroads from a sustainability standpoint we talk about oh if we can source it regionally and grow it locally we're going to build this more sustainable food system but at the end of the day you still need people to do what I'm doing right now which is go down and pick up the food and coordinate with our growers there's only so many hours in the day and um I I I, re- I, I reach that wall way too often That makes sense. I'm interested in what she said about access, though. I feel like that's the criticism that always gets lobbed at projects like this. Okay, great. But who can afford all this amazing organic food? It's mostly rich people, right? Yeah, that's my assumption, too, that it's going to be people who are shopping at the natural food store or eating out at restaurants. And I still think that's mostly true. But Susie did point out some things I hadn't thought about. There's so much food waste in this country. I think that's where people... You know, they're not smart shoppers. You know, they, they go in and they buy a lot of food and a lot of that food goes to waste. The food waste thing is huge. There's some crazy stat from a Natural Resources Defense Council report that came out a couple of years ago that we end up wasting 40 percent of the food we grow in this country. Totally. This is something I'm really determined to get better about. I have this weird obsession with having a fully stocked fridge that I really need to get over. <laughs> Speaking of which... What about the local growing thing? Do they sell stuff there in town or teach people how to grow their own food? It seems like that would cut down on food waste, too. It can be a cheaper way to eat healthier, too. So, yeah, they have this crazy Sierra growing dome, which has been engineered for the Tahoe climate and snow loads. But it's $23,000. Whoa, not cheap. Not at all. But she also talked about what she called cold frames, which are basically garden boxes that you put some sort of a topper on. So the the food hub people have these polycarbonate roofs built on theirs, but you could also use a hoop and a tarp or even just like a sheet of plastic if you really want to get cheap about it. (laughs) And these things allow you to grow from April to November, which is a big improvement over Tahoe's usual growing season. Which is what, like summertime? Yeah, it's like June to September. So you're not exactly offsetting your food costs there. Has anyone bought one of these expensive domes yet? They do have one dome up at an elementary school in South Lake Tahoe, but so far that's it. Do you have anyone who's like said, yes, I'm getting one yet? Not yet. Okay. So that's what we're, we're still looking for that, you know, that person. A lot of people interested. I mean, it's a really a fascinating structure. Um, you know, the engineers, Pooja and um, Ing- Ugar Parsons with Growing Spaces have put so much thought into the design and bringing it down to how we can, you know, ultimately save costs in building something like this. Seems like maybe some of the resorts or the school district or some local towns would be more likely to put one of those things up or maybe a really wealthy family. Totally. But the cold frame idea is definitely feasible. And I like that they're looking at ways to grow more on top of just sourcing more. Yeah. And you got to start somewhere, right? And there are expenses associated with conventional food that people forget about, too. Health impacts, trucking it from hundreds of miles away. Totally. And I think helping farmers make ends meet is important, too. Plus, they're growing some damn good food. I went home and ate like 10 mandarins. I bet you were hungry after all that truckloading. I have to admit, I was pretty tired and pretty hungry. And Susie said we only picked up about half of what she'd do on an average summer day. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so what's on deck for our next episode? Oh, man, jazz hands. I got to play dress up with over a thousand vintage showgirl costumes. And the woman whose collection it is told me some really fascinating stories about the whole history of that industry and what it means to the West. I'm really excited for that and a little bit jealous. Once this baby's out, I'm going to go play dress up. (laughs) 
This episode of Range was produced by me, Amy Westervelt. And me, Julia Ritchie. Our music was created by the super talented Mr. David Whited. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate the show. It really helps us out and helps other people find us in the iTunes store. You can also find us online at rangepodcast.org. And if you've got an idea for a show or you want to know more about any of the topics we've covered so far, email howdy at rangepodcast.org. Yeehaw. Woo. Is that a contraction? <laughs> I hope not. You're how, like four days away from giving birth. <laughs> I know. Let's record this shit. <laughs> <laughs>